Amen. Let's, let's pray one more time together. Ask God to bless our time. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace today. We confess, Lord, that we need your grace. We ask that you would use the preaching of your word as a means of grace, a true means of grace, Lord, for us. To strengthen us, to build us up in the most holy faith. And we ask, God, that your word would have 10,000 different applications today. That you would use your word powerfully, spiritually, supernaturally. To speak to us, God, to conform us, to convict us, and to cause us to render to you greater worship and to give you the praise that is due to your name. We thank you, God, that you have so graciously blessed us with the church, the doctrine of the church, with the concept of the church, with the structure of the church. And we understand, O oh God, that our lives, our Christian lives, are in need of the church. We confess that apart from the church, Lord, we will grow weary and weak, and we will dry up, and we will die. And so, Father, we're grateful that you have blessed us with imperfect churches, churches that don't get everything right, ministers that certainly are imperfect and yet you have graciously given us, Lord, an environment where our souls can be nurtured and cared for. And that's what we ask here, Lord. That's what we pray would be the, the, the goal of our church, that that would be the purity that would take place in our church. Father, we just pray that you would use Heritage Grace for our, the good of our souls. And Father, I pray for the souls and the members of our church and for all in attendance that love you. Father, that the ministry from our church would be a blessing to them and that they would grow in respect to salvation. We ask your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, I love verse-by-verse exposition of the Bible because it is such a safeguard. Uh, (laughs) Because if you're a visitor today, you would be tempted to think, well, is this like a popular theme around here? You know, um, obey your leaders. (laughs) Well, it's just the exposition of the Word of God, and this is a very important subject, and this is such a glorious uh, topic for me personally. Obviously, it's uh, self-gratifying to walk through a passage of Scripture that gives us uh, information that is very useful for us in ecclesiology. And that really is the focus of our study today, ecclesiology. What is ecclesiology? Well, ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church, the study of the church. It comes from the word ecclesia, which means church. And so what we are studying today is ecclesiology, and, but what I would like to title maybe a little bit more specifically, New Covenant Ecclesiology. New Covenant Ecclesiology. Now, this has already been mentioned. If you look back at verse 7, of course, there's a, there's a reference here to the same concept. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So already the church has been pointed into the direction of their leadership, of their leaders, and, uh, and why it's important to remember them, to imitate their faith. And here now is a call for obedience and for submission. But what is this new covenant ecclesiology all about and where does it begin? Uh, You know, what I want to do is let's begin 
a little bit further back. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, in fact, because there uh, we have sort of the prophetic foundations for New Covenant ecclesiology. And you can see that, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. Now, that's just one verse that I want to read to you, but then I want to expand on this a little bit. It says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. And so all the way back from old covenant times, as is recurrent in the book of Jeremiah, there are constant uh, sort of... um, of prophecies and promises, and there are sort of foreshadows of new covenant realities that are coming. And this is one of them, that God would provide to the people of God faithful shepherds who will faithfully shepherd the flock of God. Here, just those two words, they will feed you on knowledge and understanding. Um, This... uh, whole verse, though, is actually expanded upon. Turn to chapter 23 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. I don't know why, but we are having serious demonic (laughs) issues with our microphones. So we're trying to chase all that down just so that you know. Trying to get rid of the ghosts in the wires. Of course, this is wireless, so I don't know. But anyway. Jeremiah chapter 23 Beginning in verse 1, this expands upon what he said in verse three, chapter 3. He says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, says the Lord, God, the God of Israel, or the Lord God of Israel, concerning the shepherds, let me read that again, verse 2. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evils of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. So all the way back here, we see the inception and the promise of new covenant ecclesiology. And how is all of this to be fulfilled? Look at verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Now you know, if you know anything about this passage, that this is messianic. That this is referring to the coming of the Messiah. And so is it any wonder that Jesus himself, alluding to this passage, asks Peter, Peter, if you love me, tend my flock. Peter was the beginning of the fulfillment of this text. And ever since the New Covenant age, God has been installing faithful shepherds over His sheep. And that's where New Covenant 
shepherding comes from. And so when we get to Hebrews chapter 13, when the author says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. These are new covenant ministers that have been called to minister in the power of the Spirit of God. Now turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Just for further further, uh, fulfillment of this, you see this even in Paul. Beginning in verse 1, it says, We are beginning, this is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. The Apostle Paul is stating that he does not need to commend himself. He doesn't need letters of recommendation because the proof is in the pudding. Because his ministry speaks for itself and what he is called to do. And he understands that his sufficiency is not in himself, but from God. Verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who made us, and then the Greek word here, uh, uh, servants or, or, or ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So that's going to launch into a whole comparison between Old Covenant and New Covenant in Paul. But Paul saw himself as a minister of the New Covenant in fulfillment to the prophecies that were made of these faithful shepherds that would arise. Why do I take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, though? Because everything that I'm going to say today regarding pastoral ministry has to be built on the bedrock of this verse right here. Namely, understanding where the adequacy of a new covenant minister comes from. We are not adequate in ourselves. We are not competent in ourselves. Our adequacy comes from God. So what does that mean? What that means is that the new covenant minister is to be a humble, broken-hearted, contrite, weak vessel that God uses. In other words, true biblical ministry does not come from the stance of an authoritarian coming down upon a people that are in his care and that he is an authority over, but it comes from the place of deepest humility because the shepherd of all people understands the depth of his inadequacy. Who is adequate for these things? Not the pastor. Unless God were to give him adequacy, he would be totally unprepared, totally inadequate, totally incompetent to minister to God's people. I mean, pastors make all kinds of mistakes and blunders. I mean, sometimes it's as easy as I've met you three or four times and I still don't know your name and you get so offended you don't come back. We are totally a joke. We need God's grace. And that's the only way that biblical ecclesiology is going to happen in pastoral ministry. So, now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13 and let us begin looking at this passage. This is so important. This whole issue of biblical new covenant leadership, and basically what we can call biblical leadership, this is so important because not only of the the culture in which we live, which is a completely anti-institutional culture, anti-authoritarian culture, 
Uh, people don't want organized religion. Uh, they see that as a threat. They immediately think that there's a catch, right? People don't want organized religion as if unorganized religion would be any better or something. No, but really, I would say even a deeper problem than that is the fact that evangelicalism in itself has issues when it comes to ecclesiology. Overall, uh, today in evangelicalism, we have a very low view of the church. Uh, you'll find this everywhere. Uh, it just, it just, it's, it's, it's really the air that we breathe. It's, it, it really is sort of all-pervading everywhere. I mean, I meet Christians all the time that have a pathetically low view of the local church. And this is why I thank God that he's given us passages like this that are explicitly corrective. Uh, the author of Hebrews doesn't shy away from the words and the terminology and the concepts and the ideas that he sets forth. He, he's not shying away from this. He is embracing new covenant ecclesiology, and so should we. The problem is, is that the church today, oftentimes, because it doesn't take church serious, what happens is that there is a really, um, there's really a, a, a shallow approach to all sorts of things regarding the church. Church cooperation, for example. Church cooperation is a shallow thing today. In other words, churches working with churches on different levels of cooperation. Let's say like church discipline. I'm so grateful when pastors, and many have, called me and say, hey, um, we've had an issue with a family. We hear they're headed your way. I want to let you know what's going on. I so appreciate that. But really, the predominant thing that goes on today is people just hop from church to church, church to church, no accountability, there's no membership going on, there's no discipline going on, there's no cooperation going on between churches. That's wrong. That's why church discipline has become all but forgotten today. Isn't it, um, isn't it uh, remarkable that even back in Jeremiah, God was talking about, you know, uh, pastors that would, they would guard the flock so the flock wouldn't have to be afraid anymore. That's interesting. And, the, and it takes courage to lead the flock today. You know how difficult it is in today's complex modern world that we live in to follow through with something like church discipline? You can get sued. It takes courage to have to do that. You understand how difficult it is, even in, a, even in a third world country, to follow through with church discipline? You know how hard it is when you're living in a closed country like a Muslim nation, where you are called in the context of a small little house church to have to follow through with church discipline? It can get very, very, very um, dicey, to say the least. It, it involves a tremendous amount of conviction and commitment to the Word of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul, take him for an example, he was always in the throes of church discipline. Always. I mean, it just seems like all the time Paul was dealing with discipline, giving somebody over to Satan, telling the church, put the immoral person out, coming to the church and saying, do I need to come with a whip or with the patience of Jesus? It seemed like Paul couldn't get away from church discipline. I'll try to avoid doing as much of that as I can. Um... And so we need to really pay attention to this text. The three things, though, I think if we're going to recover a, a biblical ecclesiology, biblical new covenant ecclesiology, three things I want to point out. Number one, ready? The identity and the role of biblical leadership. I think this is important because these are people that are leading the flock. It says, obey those 
obey, obey your leaders and submit to them. And so the first thing that we need to do is we need to identify the leadership. Who are the leaders? Well, in this context, the leaders are not just, you know, charismatic people in the church who have magnetic personalities that people tend to gravitate towards. No, this is a formal reference to the leadership of the church. Specifically, this is referring to the office of an elder. Uh, In the Bible, elder, pastor, overseer, these are all synonymous terms. And what do you have in the New Testament? In the New Covenant, what you have is two offices. You have pastor and you have a deacon. A deacon really is not, according and biblically, the deacon doesn't hold authority in the church. Uh, They are meant to, uh, I guess the way that I could describe the ministry of a deacon is that a deacon is to promote the authority of the church. He is to support the authority of the elders of the church, but they themselves are not vested with authority. Uh, All of the language in Scripture about shepherding the flock, ruling the flock, governing the flock, managing the flock, overseeing the flock, all of that is relegated to the office of elder. Never is it attributed to the deacon. That's why deacons... You know, you hear churches that function in a way where it's like you got the deacon board, they kind of run everything, and then you got the preacher boy, you know, he does whatever they say, or they'll fire him. I mean, that is a total perversion of ecclesiology. That is not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible tells us instead is that we are to have a plurality of elders. You know, when Pastor Chris stepped down from being a pastor here, it was a real, um, it, it, it was, it was a real time of faith for me. (laughs) Because one thing I decided a long time ago in my own ministry is that I will not pastor alone. Uh, I don't want to be the sole pastor. Uh, I don't want to be the one pastor that doesn't, is not accountable to anybody else. I like having a co-pastor, somebody that keeps me accountable. I mean, just the other day I had to call Lynn and ask him permission for something. I like that. I like to have to ask Lynn for permission to do X, Y, and Z. So far, he's always said yes, so we still got a good relationship going. <laughs> but were he to say no, I'd have to pump the brakes and say, okay, let's, let's wait on that, or let's pray about that, or let's keep talking about that. And so it's very important that we understand what this is all about. When we think about the identity of the leaders of the church, what we find, of course, is that leaders in the church have to be men that are biblically qualified, number one. Number two, they have to be biblically leading the church, meaning they have to have a biblical ministry. Uh, In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says he renounced the hidden things of shame. In other words, his ministry was not shady. He didn't engage in what he called underhanded ways. Everything was in the light for him. Also, they have to be, and this is coming back to um, the context of Hebrews, the other thing is after being biblically qualified and having a biblical ministry, they also have to be biblically recognized. They have to be biblically recognized. Look over to 1 Peter chapter 5 just to see that. 1 Peter chapter 5, kind of a parallel passage to what we're looking at here. 1 Peter chapter 5 So what it says is, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker of the glory to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, 
and not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when Christ, the, sheep, the chief shepherd, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And that doesn't mean be subject to older people around you. I think that is referring to the elders of the church. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And so, right there, he tells us to biblically honor, submit to, and obey elders in the church. Once the elders of the church have been recognized, they must also be obeyed. So, here we go. Two words that Hebrews uses. Number one, he says, obey those who, um, who lead you. What does he say? How does he word it exactly? He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. So you have the word obedience and you have the word submission. They are not the same. They're not synonymous, but they are related. I think they paint a different nuance in each word. Matter of fact, this Greek word obey, pefeste, literally means to obey someone who because of their character and ministry and qualities has persuaded you to follow them. It's interesting, right? It's, it's, I don't want to say it this way, but it's almost as if what it's saying is that, is, is that leaders have almost an obligation here to convince people of their leadership. And I think that just is ultimately going to go back to the qualifications. If somebody is biblically qualified, I think they have earned the right to be obeyed. And so we are called to do that. We are called to obey our leaders. Now, of course, when we talk about this, this, uh, this obedience or this call to obedience is not without its qualifications. We never obey leaders that call us to do anything that would contradict the Word of God or that would violate your conscience. Never. Um, maybe I would uh, give you an example of this. I had a brother that came to our church once who said that the reason why he came to our church many years ago, I'm not going to tell you who, so don't try to figure it out. Many years ago, this guy came to us through membership, and he said, the reason I'm here is because from my last church, I was stumbled by the leadership because they had such an insistence on Christian liberty where drinking was part of practically everything in the church um, that, that it was even part of the ministries of the church, like small groups where people would come with their wine coolers and whatnot. What? Are you kidding me? That's what you've been subjected to at a church? And so he was emotionally stumbled by that. And so what I would say is never, ever are you called to obey and to follow leaders that would present in front of you a stumbling block like that or that would call you to a standard that violates your conscience and the Word of God. So it's, it has limits. To obey in the, the text, in the context of Scripture, this call to obedience is not to obey me in every whim and, 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 and every, every, everything that, every desire that I have. Oh, um, you know, today I, I kind of need my, my lawn mowed. You want to come over and mow my lawn, brother? You know, it says to obey. No, um, this is not so that you become the pastor's errand boy. This is so that you obey what the pastor is called to legislate in the church. And so, for example, we are called to obey with issues concerning church government. Uh, this is seen in um, Timothy's ordination where the, 
where the pastors affirmed his ordination and Timothy was exhorted to follow in that by, 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 by uh, cultivating his gifts. Also, we are to obey in the advancement of the gospel, as you see all throughout the book of Philippians and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2, the church is constantly being obedient to the word of God because it's advancing the gospel. And then also, we should also be obedient when it comes to, again, issues like church discipline, issues like the, 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 the ordinances of the church, like baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, we've had to bar people from the Lord's table because of sin. Well, that is something that I think you're bound to obey. Uh, things like that, things of a formal government nature. I think the last point can be easily il- illustrated from the context of Hebrews, where someone, if, they, if, if some were no doubt attempting to persuade the flock away from obeying the gospel, they were to be rejected. You remember that? So this, what this tells us is that the other thing that you need to obey is the rejection of false teaching and the rejection of false teachers. And that is certainly what is going on here in Hebrews. You remember? He made reference to that in verse 9 where he talks about those... Uh, who were giving themselves over to strange doctrine. You see that? Verse 9. Do not be carried away by varied and strange doctrine, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those, and that those is a reference to false teaching, false teachers. Those who were so occupied were not benefited. Those who are practicing this, going back to an old covenant. So whatever the heresy is, you are to obey the leadership in their rejection of them. Their rejection of them. Also, church discipline. Uh, what is decided in the context of church discipline, the membership has an obligation to follow through with that. That's why Jesus told the church in Matthew 18 that when a person refuses to repent and you tell it to the church, and they don't want to listen, not even to the church, Then he speaks corporately that they are to be rejected and treated as an unbeliever. That's an obligation not only that the pastor has, but you have. So what that means is that that somebody under church discipline cannot come to to you to get some sort of, you know, some sort of hearing. They shouldn't have your ear in private, right? Sort of apart from the ruling of the church, we still continue our own relationship over here. Absolutely not. You are bound to the decision that was made formally by the church. Matters like that. And I can go on and on and on. I was tempted to, and then I thought, I better cut this short, because then I'll never get through with this whole exposition. But there's example after example of what it means to obey and what it doesn't mean to obey. The, the second thing is it also says that we have to submit. This is a different this is a different Greek word. This is emphasizing not so much the idea of following someone's leadership, as in the word obedience, but submission really speaks of the person's obligation to yield. The word literally means to yield yourself and, 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 and recognize the authority of the pastors. Turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. This was challenging for me because... I can even tell you stories of, as a young pastor, being challenged with this. Uh, There's a book, I think, that's called Putting Pastors in Their Place or something like that. And it's basically telling pastors, gird up, be a man, Um, be be who you're called to be. 
Don't shy away from this. And we need that exhortation because some of us, we can be very timid, right? And we can shy away from even the authority that God has invested in the office of an elder. I I think Timothy was like that. Remember, Paul had to tell Timothy, don't be shy. (laughs) Don't be timid, Timothy, right? You don't have a spirit of timidity, but you have a spirit of power and of a sound mind, right? Titus chapter 2, verse 11, you see a similar thing here. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's amazing. Paul can't just leave it at you know, um, looking for the blessed hope. (laughs) He's got to go for two more verses to expound and enlarge on that. I love it. But then he resumes. Here's a resumptive verse. Verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, and and now to make it completely uh, unambiguous, let no one disregard you. Uh, the Greek word there, the Greek word for disregard, perifraneo, um, is an interesting compound word. It literally means to esteem lightly. It sort of, in other words, if I were to translate it for us now, it'd be something like just to brush off, right? To esteem them lightly, to esteem their authority lightly. And uh, the Greek lexicon, lao and nita, which is a very reputable one, uh, translates it to invalidate their authority. Wow. To invalidate their authority by a disregard for their authority. And um, I'm so thankful. Let me pause and just thank all of you, especially the members of our church. Thank you. Because I, I don't think I've ever felt disregarded as a pastor. And that's a great comfort to me. That's a, that's a huge... Um, that, that, that's a huge blessing, but that's also a huge accountability because what I've seen, uh, unless you're in sin, <laughs> but what I've seen is that typically um, in our church, the elders are very respected. They're very regarded. They're listened to. Uh, they're not disregarded. Our authority is not invalidated. And so we are very, very blessed to be in that context. Some churches are so perverted that everybody's gossiping about the pastor. Everybody's slamming the pastor. Everybody's talking about the pastor. And a lot of times he earns it or he deserves it. And that's the culture. The culture of the church is poisonous. It's like that. There's all sorts of shady, underhanded, backstabbing ways going on in the local church. And it is an abhorrent to God. It is an abhorrent to God. Second principle, not just the identity, the role, but also now the concern and the gravity of of biblical leadership. How do, why do I say that? Look back at the verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those that will give an account. And so right there you see both the concern of leadership and the gravity of it, right? What is the concern? Well, the concern is, 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 is very explicit. Uh, when he says, they keep watch over your souls, the word there, soul, Suke 
is referring to the spiritual aspect of your life. Your spirit, your spirit, your heart, your spiritual condition. Who you are in the spirit, in Christ, in your walk with God. That's what the concern of any biblical leadership is really all about. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm not that concerned about where you live, what kind of job you have, how much money you make. um, uh, 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 Brace yourself. How physically healthy you are. Uh, Listen, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned that that, that you're in good health. I thank God that you're not sick or, or that you don't have some disease or something like that. But I can't prevent the disease. I can't prevent the doctor from calling you and telling you what's, what's happened to you. But what I am concerned with is when you get the call, when you get the news, how do you respond? Where's your soul? How's your spirit? How's your heart? Where's your state of mind? Where's your walk? When that happens to you, that's the concern. That's the focus. Not so much financially, not so much materialistically, not so much medically, but I'm concerned about, you know, your, your inner man. Your inner man. Hey, listen, you know, the outer man is perishing. Sorry. You know, sorry to tell you that you can eat organic food until you're green in the face. Your outer man is going to die. It's perishing, man. Therefore, if... If, 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 if pastors are to be doctors, let them be physicians of the soul. Let them take care of the health status of your heart. Instead of trying to be some fitness guru or a health nut or a financial advisor to you, I'm supposed to be concerned about a deeper issue. And that is, how are you doing on the inside? Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Just to point this out to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Because in a hundred years from today, what is going to matter the most is what did you read? How much did you, did you learn? How much did you obey? Not how much organic food did you eat. Right? That's not going to be the concern. I know everyone's concerned with this. Were you gluten-free? Every menu now, gluten-free. What is that? I don't even know what gluten is. I don't want to know. It sounds like it kind of ruins your day. Beginning in verse 6, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, In pointing out these things of the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly uh, fables fit only for old women. On the other hand... And that's a pejorative, definitely a pejorative euphemism. It's basically painting the picture of a a bunch of older women, a, 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 a pack of canting old ladies that are just gossiping and telling each other all these worldly fables. <laughs> I mean, it's really, really colorful. <laughs> you get the point. Don't look like the view. On the other hand... <laughs> Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only for little profit, but godly discipline, godly, uh, uh, excuse me, but godliness is profitable for all things. 
all things would include bodily discipline, by the way. I just wanted to make that little slight insight. All things are all things, right? And so even bodily discipline, I think there is, this is not a discarding of working out or exercise, right? But this is a prioritizing. Priority straight. And once that priority is straight, even how you exercise, 1 Corinthians 10.31, should be to the glory of God if you do that. Since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come, it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance, for it is for this, you see that? For godliness, it is for this that we labor. Here's the pastoral emphasis. That we labor, we strive, because we fixed our hope on the living God, the Savior of all men, especially believers. And then he says, you want a prescription? Prescribe and teach these things. That is what the pastoral ministry, that is what the concern of the ministry is all about. Words of faith, sound doctrine, godliness. This is what the shepherds of the new covenant will do for the new covenant people of God. You want a new covenant minister? Let us learn from another elder, an old wise elder of the New Testament church, John I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that my children got a really good job. That to hear that my children bought a really nice house. No. But to hear that my children are walking in the truth. See, he's concerned about that, John is. The reason why he cares, have you been to church lately, is because as a pastor, he knows the fact that you haven't been coming to church may be the beginning of something horrific for your life. And it's not just you missed. It's that 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they left us because they were not of us. For if they would have been of us, then they would have remained with us, but they left us, they went out from us, to make it evident that they were never of us. So church attendance is important. And I'm sorry if you feel like we're nagging you. But we're concerned for you. We're not nagging you. We're concerned that you continue to get nourished with the sound words of the faith, the sound doctrine. It's the only thing that's going to keep our lives together. Matter of fact, Paul tells Timothy, it will ensure salvation for you and for your hearers. Is there any other way to say it's important? (laughs) I mean, is there any stronger way for Paul to emphasize that the preaching of the Word of God is a means of grace with which you cannot go without? You have to have it. And no, your podcast is not a substitute for preaching and standing in the, you know what I believe in. I believe that you have to stand in the presence of a preacher and the Word of God being preached. And it is not enough even to sit in front of a screen and just watch a, you know, a big old you know, screen with a, a preacher you know, digitally, you know, whatever, via satellite or whatever. I think you've got to be in the presence of the preacher when he's preaching the Word of God. I really believe that, that that's the ordained, there's a supernatural element there. There's a prophetic power in sitting under the preaching of God's Word. It is so humbling. I tell you, when I was reading this, I put my manuscript down when I was done with it, and I just went, wow. 
Because I've got to believe what I'm preaching. That the act of preaching is God speaking. And that it is not that the pastor gets up and says, Thus saith the Lord, but he says, Thus saith the Lord, and then he follows it up by chapter and verse. Right? Paul says, True biblical ministry will cost you everything. Everything. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, We gave you the gospel and even our own lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, look, we were, not only did we come to you, that we ministered to you, he says, but we even gladly spent ourselves. And he says, and we would gladly be expended for your soul. Philippians chapter 2, what does that look like? He says, it's like, a, it's like an offering. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering for the service of your faith. That's what it should look like. And therefore, he says, rejoice and It's not just the concern that we're confronted with here, but it's also the gravity. What does he say? He says here, back in Hebrews, he says, They keep watch of your souls as those who will give an account. And so, therefore, on top of this, biblical leadership, new covenant leadership looks like this, that it comes with 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 a great cost, a great gravity, a great accountability. And for that reason... Uh, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You've heard me quote this verse numerous times. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 10. By the way, I'm so glad for biblical membership. I can't tell you as I was studying this how much membership was coming to my mind saying, thank you for membership. Thank you. Thank you because I know who I'm accountable for. I know that if you're just a visitor, you're just popping your head in here. You know, I love you. Uh, I'll talk to you. I will visit with you. I will chat with you. I will fellowship with you. But I'll tell you what, I am not accountable for you. (laughs) Until there is a formal commitment, an over and under commitment as shepherd and sheep, on the day of judgment, I will not give an account for you. But I will give an account for the church. And Paul taught this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, For we have to all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, and you know he's thinking of ministry, because he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your consciences. Listen, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians... When we started Heritage Grace, we went from a really hard church split situation. It was terrible, and it was hard. It was really hard on me and on my wife and on everybody involved. And I went. I knew exactly where I needed to go. I had to go to Second Corinthians. You know why? Because Second Corinthians, really the Corinthian letters, but really Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians is written by a broken-hearted pastor who is facing intense division in his own churches who someone and someone there, that Paul is facing uh, uh, opposition. And at every turn, almost every chapter, almost every chapter of 2 Corinthians um, reveals some sort of conflict that Paul is having, where his apostleship, his ministry is being undermined by someone. And um, therefore, I just, I, I wanted to learn what was Paul like when he was going through pain? And it was very comforting to me. I almost preached it selfishly. And I'm sure that 
the church benefited from it as well. What's the point of it all? The point of it all is that because there is this great accountability, be very careful how you minister. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 10, because this basically is saying the same thing that James would say. In James chapter 3, verse 1, where James says, you know, let not many of you become teachers knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. <laughs> Tell you what, don't be so hasty to run into the pulpit ministry, right? And I say that for the record because I'd never know who's going to listen to this message. But do not be so hasty in, in approaching the sacred desk because you will have a strict, far stricter judgment in the mercy seat of Christ and the believer next to you. Wow, that's a huge reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks to much of the same thing. He says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, verse 10, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. He's talking about ministry. That as a minister, the foundation is the apostolic teaching of the cross, the apostolic teaching of the gospel, and that is the bedrock of the new covenant church. Therefore, all new covenant ministers that follow in the train of Paul and the apostles better be very careful how they build on this foundation. In other words, you better take great care as to the nature and the content of your pastoral ministry. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one, the one which was laid, which is Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Verse 12, now if a man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, and here's another group, wood, hay, and straw or stubble, each man's work will, be, will become evident for the day will show it because it will be tested and revealed with fire. That is a, a imagery of God's trying, probing judgment. That God will probe and judge every minister to test the worthiness or the unworthiness, the preciousness or the, or the perfunctory, that is the false nature of his ministry. That's right. If a man's work which he has built on it remains, he will, be, he, will be, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. Now, a lot of debate has gone into what exactly does it mean that he will suffer loss. Well, we know it doesn't mean condemnation because then it says what? It says be burnt up, but he himself will be saved. So as through fire. So it doesn't mean he will be eternally condemned, but it doesn't mean that, think of it, think of the regret as you're standing there as a minister, you've labored your whole life in the context of the local church, you've poured blood, sweat, and tears into every sermon, every ministry opportunity, every counseling session, every membership meeting, everything that you've ever done, every footnote that you've ever had to read in a commentary, everything, and depending on the nature of your ministry, it will either be burned up on that day or it will remain. You want an incentive to walk with God in the ministry. This is it. Last point. Not only the not only the concern, the gravity of biblical ministry, but also the response and then the goal. The response is coming back to you. So you thought this was all about me. Here we go. This is coming right back to you. He says, they watch over your souls as those that are going to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So here, the author is laying a burden on the church in the response that they are to render to biblical leadership. They are to do this in a way that shows that what we're all striving for in the church is mutual joy. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, because uh, Paul hits this issue head on. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in, in many different places, but in chapter 1, he says in verse 23, he says, I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you I did not come to Corinth again. Wow! What he's saying here is, I didn't come visit you to spare you. To spare you from what? To spare you from further discipline to spare you because I was going to come and I was going to I was going to clean house <laughs> that's what he's saying and he says in order to spare you I didn't come to Corinth again he says and and then he's so careful with the tone because you say like wow well, you know this is not Paul getting ahead of himself but this is Paul saying not that we lord it over your faith and so you got to supply what do you mean lord what over our faith i would say lord over his authority. He doesn't lord it over them. He says, but he is a worker with them for your joy. For in your faith you are standing firm. So in other words, the reason he has not given up on this church is because there is still a semblance of faithfulness. They are still standing firm. They're still In other words, they might be an impure church, but they are still apparently a true church. There's still a gospel church. The lampstick is still lit. It's still there. And therefore, he says, I am a worker with you for your joy. And he says, but I det-. And look, at, if you go on to chapter 2, he says, I determined this for my own sake that I would not come to cause you sorrow again. So just again, the whole purpose of this is the joy of the church. The whole relationship, listen now, the whole relationship of member Sheep, shepherd, pastor, really should be a corporate quest for joy. We do what we do together. We come to church together because we are both after the same thing, namely our spiritual joy, our affection in Christ. It is a quest for spiritual and mutual satisfaction. If you're going to church and church is a bummer, how many people have you talked to, have I talked to, that their church is a bummer? They don't like going to their church, right? I've met so many people, and I've told you this before, and I tell you, when you get to that place where, you don't, where, where it's more of a burden than a joy, it's more, you leave more bitter than you do blessed, it's time to go. Uh, because you shouldn't go to church to be bitter, to be resentful. Uh, uh, that, that, that's just not, shouldn't, shouldn't be going on in your heart, right? You should be going to church for the purpose of being blessed and to be rejoiced and to rejoice with others that share your joy. And therefore, you need to be very careful what church you're at. Um, boy, there's so much on this. Let me get to the last point. Finally then, Because it's not just about the response, it's also about the goal. And these are closely related, the response and the goal. And what is the goal of biblical 
leadership. Biblical leadership pursues biblical joy in the context of biblical ecclesiology. The point of all of this is so that you would grow. He says this would be unprofitable for you. In other words, if you do not so obey, so submit, so follow the lead of your leaders, if you are a troublemaker in the church, If that is kind of your bent, your slant, if that is kind of your custom, if that is kind of the way you conduct yourself in the church, that you tend to be the trouble-causing member in the church, you are ripping yourself off. That's what he's saying. This is not profitable for you. You are not gaining. You are not profiting what you ought to be profiting for the sake of your soul. Don't be a troublemaker in the church. You know why? Because time is short And this is not the way that God intended your Christian life to go. Instead, bless, rejoice, edify, encourage. Don't go around the church causing havoc, looking to get into debates with people, looking to upset people's faith, looking to always spill over into controversy so that something is stirred up. That is not the purpose of going to church. You need to take all of your theological acumen. You need to take all of your zeal. You need to take all of your personality. And you need to use it for the purpose of mutual edification. Let's close by going to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, because there the Apostle Paul expresses this exact thing. This is... What this is giving us, brothers and sisters, is a recipe for success in the church. If we do this, we will be blessed. If we do not, we will be cursed. We will succeed or we will fail based on our mutual pursuit of joy and edification with one another. Look at Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. He says, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by one another's faith, both yours and mine. You know, that should be the attitude of our heart every time we come to church, right there. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that for us. I I pray that Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, that that would be something that we would meditate on before we come to church. On our way to church, that we would think about this verse and ask ourselves, are we doing this? 